Well, good morning, church family. How's your summer going? How many of you already had vacation this summer? Really? How many of you are going to have vacation before school starts? How many of you don't know what vacation is? <laughs> I pray you've had a great, great summer. This morning, we're going to begin a new teaching series from the book of Ezekiel in two weeks. In our Bible reading plan, you'll be reading Ezekiel, so I want to get a little jump on that and help you as you start and prepare to read Ezekiel, because I think he can uh, really teach us a lot. That last song we were just singing, here I am to, to worship, here I am to, you know, to, to bow down, to say that you are my God. I, I have a conviction as a pastor that uh, people who really know Christ, who are really saved, and I know there are people who come to church and they don't know Jesus. I, I get that. But those, who, those of you who know Jesus, I have a conviction, a belief, that those of us who really know Jesus want to grow in our walk with him, and want to be faithful and want to obey him. And even, even those of you who may be struggling some in your spiritual life, I believe somewhere deep in your heart, that's your desire. That's, that is what you want. I don't think anybody who truly knows Jesus, wakes up one day and you know they say, you know, I'm tired of all this. I don't want to love Jesus anymore. I don't want to serve Jesus anymore. I don't want to be obedient anymore. I want to be a bad Christian. I don't think anybody wakes up and just decides that. I think if you really know Christ, you have this desire to be faithful and to grow. And I think we can learn some things from Ezekiel these weeks together that will help us in that in different circumstances, different situations in life. And today in particular, I think we're going to be encouraged to be faithful to Jesus when life isn't going your way. Because it doesn't always go your way. Things don't always turn out the way you want. You wish, there, there are times in life you wish things were different. But that does not mean you cannot be faithful to Jesus and grow when things are not going your way. And that's the first lesson we're going to learn from Ezekiel. So we're going to start today in Ezekiel chapter 1. Let me see your copy of God's Word. Written, electronic, hold it up. Thank you for bringing God's Word with you to worship. Always do that. Go ahead and open your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, Ezekiel was a young man. He was a Jew living as an exile, as a slave, if you will, in a foreign country in Babylon. And he loved God. He was a prophet God's hand was all over him. And so today we're going to look at the beginning of his book and then over the next few weeks some of the different experiences he had and let God speak into us, let God teach us so we can be faithful and so we can grow. And I want us to start this morning in chapter 1, verse 1, as we learn about being faithful in hard times, being faithful when life isn't going the way you want it to go. So chapter 1 Verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came about in the 30th year, meaning that Ezekiel was 30 years old when the events recorded here take place. He even tells us what month it was. He says in, in the middle of verse 1, While I was at by the river Kabar among the exiles, Jewish exiles, Jewish people who had been taken captive by the Babylonian army to Babylon, and uh, the river Kabar, Located somewhere between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers in modern Iraq near Baghdad, just south of Baghdad in all likelihood. And so he's by this river with the other Jewish captives in Babylon. 
And, in, and he says at the end of verse 1, the heavens were opened. And I saw visions of God. Had this powerful experience with God. And then verse 2, parenthetically, on the filth of the month, in the filth year of Jehoiakim's exile. Because of that, we can date when this is taking place. Babylon, and this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson, but it's important if you're going to understand the text. Babylon had defeated the Assyrian Empire and was the most powerful army in that part of the planet. So you take what would be today Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, northern Egypt, over toward Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and other areas. They dominated that area. They were a powerful military military force. And in 605 BC, so think 600 years before Jesus, Judea, Jerusalem became a sub, became subjugated to Babylon and had to pay tribute, had to pay taxes. Some of you who are a little older remember back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, the Soviet Union, very communists and dictators dominated Eastern Europe and you had Poland and all these other countries, but they weren't free. Czechoslovakians, so they were controlled by Russia. Same thing here. So Judea is controlled by Babylon and they had to send part of their taxes, a large part, to Babylon so Babylon won't destroy them. And that all started in 605 B.C. And, and when, when they started that, Babylon took some of the brightest young people. So some of you young teenagers and young adults, if you were making good grades in school, you were removed by force from your home in Jerusalem and Judea and had to live as a captive, as an exile, as a slave in Babylon. And among those young men was Daniel, taken to Babylon. So that's how things went for a few years. And then there was a king in Jerusalem named Jehoiakim who listened to some bad advice and stopped paying the taxes. And so Nebuchadnezzar brought his Babylonian army to Jerusalem and surrounded the city and laid siege to it. And just before they were to destroy the city, Jehoiakim, the king, had the good sense to die. And his young son, Jehoiakim, became king in his place and was smart enough to immediately surrender to Babylon. This is 598 B.C. And Jehoiakim and the leaders of the government, the leaders of the education system, the leaders of the economy and the business community, any prominent citizen was removed from Jerusalem and Judea and taken as an exile to join the other exiles in Babylon. And with them, with that group, was a young 25-year-old priest named Ezekiel. Five years have passed. He's now 30 years old. He's in the fifth year of Jehoiakim's exile. So this is taking place in 593 B.C. We can tell you to the year when this is happening. And he has this, these visions of God. And in verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. He had, he had been training back in his home, back in Jerusalem, to be a priest. And, and, and I think one of the significant things about 30 is in their Jewish culture, their tradition, their culture, when you were 30 years old, that's when you began your public service as a priest. Until then, you were in training. And so five years before he ever got to serve as a priest in the temple, he was taken as a slave, meaning he never got to serve as a priest. That was his dream. That's, that's what he was training to do. 
And, and if he had been in his homeland, he would have been going in and out of the temple, participating in all the Jewish festivals and holy days. He never got to do any of that. His dreams were smashed. And five years later, he's now 30 years old, when all of that would have started, and he's a captive, an exile, a slave, living in Babylon. And I can just imagine Ezekiel was wondering, thinking, what could have been that wasn't. And he had this experience with God. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel in the land of the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians, by the river Kabar. And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. Recently in Iraq, more than 100 clay tablets were discovered. They describe in detail the life of these Jewish exiles. It meant, they mentioned the river Kabar. They are dated from the very day Ezekiel is having this experience. Those tablets record the life of Jewish slaves in Babylon during the whole time of this exile. You see, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we think, well, yeah, that's good. That's Bible stories. So ho, ho, ho. These were real people. One of those tablets found in modern Iraq, ancient Babylon, describes five generations of a Jewish family who lived as exiles, as slaves in Babylon. They were real people. When I read books about, you know, people who were slaves in the American South. Those were real people. Had real families. These Jewish exiles were real people. Ezekiel was a real person, a real man. Flesh and blood, just like us. Family, just like us. Dreams, just like us. But life wasn't going the way he had hoped. He's an exile in Babylon. The slavery for those Jewish exiles was none as harsh as American slavery. The, the slavery of the American South was one of the cruelest in history. But he was still a slave. He couldn't go home. Couldn't leave. Couldn't go where he wanted. Couldn't do everything he wanted to do. He was still a slave. He was still an exile. And here's the first lesson. If you want to be faithful to God and you want to grow as a disciple and you want to be obedient to the Lord, then don't, don't allow your circumstances to be an excuse for not doing it. See, Ezekiel never used his situation as an excuse, his circumstance as an excuse. Sometimes we have a habit of doing that, don't we? You know, if, if, if God would just do this for me then, if, if my situation was just different, you know, someday in the future when this changes, when that happens, on and on we go, and we've got all these excuses because there's something about today, there's something about my reality now that I use it as an excuse for not being faithful, for not obeying, for not growing. And it's just an excuse. And one of the worst things about doing that is every day, you spend making excuses as a day wasted. Every year, you spend waiting 
before you're going to get serious about Jesus. Because you don't like something about your reality. You don't like something about your life right now. Every year you spend doing that is a year lost. And you'll never get it back. You have no promise that your situation is going to change in five years. In fact, you have no promise that you will even be here in five years. And what you're going to discover, and, and, and the longer you live, the more you understand this. And young people hear me, this is so true. Life does go by fast. And every year that you age, it picks up speed. It goes faster. And if you spend your life waiting for this and waiting for that and when this happens and when that changes and then I'll get serious, you're going to discover that you're wasting some of the best days of your life because the only thing you are promised is right now. And right now is your opportunity. Now, can circumstances be such that you can't do everything you would like to do? Absolutely. Ezekiel could not do everything he wanted to do. I, I can imagine he wanted in the worst way to be back in Jerusalem and serving as a priest at the temple. But that wasn't possible. So reality, circumstances can prevent you from doing everything you would like to do. They can make it hard for you to do certain things. But circumstances do not stop you from doing something. Maybe you can't do everything you would like to do, everything you've dreamed about, but you can do something. And that is exactly what Ezekiel did. He did something where he was in his present reality. Instead of moping around and blaming God and blaming others and making excuses, he got up and he served and he was faithful and he was obedient in the now in his reality. What about you? Are you an excuse maker or are you somebody who picks yourself up and says, I'm going to do what I can right now, even if it's not everything I'd like to do. I'm going to do something right now. Or you're just going to be lazy and make excuses. So if you're ever going to be faithful, act like Ezekiel. Because here's the thing. Five years from now, you'll find other reasons to make excuses. And five years after that, guess what? You'll find more reasons to make excuses because it's not about your circumstance. It's about you, your heart, your attitude, your thinking, your decision-making, your walk with God. It's not about what's going on around you. It's about you. And if you want to be faithful, you can no matter your reality. That's the first important lesson from Ezekiel. Number two, stay connected to God. No matter what's going on around you or whether anybody else is or not, you stay connected to God because that's exactly what Ezekiel did. In verse 1, it says he had these visions of God. And then in verse 3, the hand of God was all over him. Now look at verses 4 and 5. He says, I looked. Behold, a storm wind was coming from the north. A great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it. And in the midst, something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire, verse 5, and within it, there were figures, creatures, figures resembling four living beings. 
He has a vision here, and it's out in the distance, so it's hard to make it all out. But as he continues in chapter 1, as it gets closer to him, he sees it more clearly. And what he's seeing is angels, four angels, four living creatures. They're called cherubim in Scripture. It's it's similar to the vision John had in chapter 4 of Revelation when he was called up to heaven, and he saw the four living creatures before the throne of God. So he sees these four living beings, creatures, these angelic beings, these cherubim, coming toward him and in the bible there's this flashing of lightning and thunder and bright lights always symbolic of the presence of god the glory of god down in verse 22 so just jump ahead in his vision and he said over the head over the heads of the living beings these angels there was something like a like an expanse this this large platform like the awesome gleam of crystal. It was clear and it was, it was shiny. In Revelation 4, before the throne of God is a sea of glass, a, just a symbolic description of the glory of heaven. And he said, spread, it spread out over the head. So here's these four angelic beings. And he says, above them, there's this vast crystal-like, brilliant platform expanse. And down in verse 25, He said, there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. And in verse 26, above the expanse that was over their their heads, there was something resembling a throne. Like lapis lazuli. It's It's a dark blue gemstone that was very popular in that part of the world in antiquity. It's, it, it shines and it's dark blue and it's beautiful. It was, it was, a, it was a, a, a gemstone that a lot of kings and so on liked uh, 3,000 years ago. And he says, here's this, these angels in this expanse and there's a throne and it's, and it, it's got the color of this dark, brilliant blue. And on that which resembled a throne, on the throne high up, was a figure with the appearance of a man. Someone sitting on the throne. And in verse 28, as the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, bright and beautiful, multicolored. And he says, when I looked at that vision of these angels carrying this expanse in the throne of God and the person on the throne of God, there's all these brilliant colors, all these bright colors. All the, it's just majestic, like a rainbow. Such was the appearance, in verse 28, of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He saw God. He had an encounter with God on his throne. And when he did, he said, it says, when I saw it, I fell on my face. I fell on my face. See, if you want to be faithful and you want to grow... You have to do your part to keep yourself connected to the presence of God in your life. You can't take it for granted. If you take it for granted, you will spiritually dry up. God is always coming toward you. But you have to always be looking in his direction. 
You have to always be wanting to see him and welcome him into your life, seeking the very presence of God. When you read scripture, wanting to encounter God, not reading it simply to learn stuff, not reading it simply to you know inform your brain or answer questions, but reading, encountering scripture so you can encounter Jesus, so you can hear from him. The same with worship, wanting to experience the presence of of God, um, our granddaughter Emily, six years old, is spending a few days with us. And this afternoon, her cousins from California will join us. Monisa drove to Blythewood, north of Columbia, yesterday to meet our son and pick her up and bring her back. And as they were driving up I-77, I had my iPhone and I was, you know, tracking them on on the Find My iPhone app. Not because I was worried, but I wanted to know when they turned on our street. And so I went out of the house and I was, I was out in the parking out, out in the driveway so when, when they pulled into the driveway because as soon as Monisa pulled up and, and stopped, I wanted to be there and open the van door and get a big old hug from my granddaughter. That's how you should feel about Jesus Christ. That you are taking responsibility, that you are taking the initiative to want to be in the presence of your Lord and Savior. It should be the driving passion of your heart to stay connected to Jesus Christ. Because if you want that, you can have that. But if you take it for granted, you'll miss it. Some years ago, I did a lot of study on the Jewish Sabbath and its history. And I discovered that that there were some Jews that viewed the Sabbath like a queen coming to visit their house. And so the closer it came to the start of the Sabbath, the closer the queen was coming to visit. And they wanted to get everything ready. They would clean the house, get all the food ready, prepare everything. So when the Sabbath arrived, when the queen showed up, everything was ready. Some of you, some of you women, you, you ever clean your house when company's coming? <laughs> Any of you ladies ever clean your house before the cleaners come? <laughs> I never have understood that when I thought that's why we were paying them. But, you know, it is what it is. You want to get ready. But what about worship? Entering into the presence of God. You get ready. You prepare yourself. Most of us just... Get to bed on Saturday. Whenever we get to bed, get up on Sunday. Whenever we get up, get to church. However we get there, if we get there and we're not ready. And we wonder why. I didn't get anything out of church today. No wonder. When our kids were teenagers, based on that study, the Jewish Sabbath, we started something. We started on Saturdays getting ready for Sunday. So at our house for a number of years, on Saturday evening sometime, we would have a meal together. And it might be a nice meal. It might just be sandwiches. It didn't matter. It might be at the house. It might be in a restaurant. It didn't matter. And we'd talk and get ready for Sunday. And then at home, the next thing they did, they had to do this before they went to bed on Saturday night. Get your clothes out. And what you choose on Saturday, you wear on Sunday. No discussion. Get your Bible, get your offering envelope, get your tie, get everything ready. So when you get up on Sunday morning, you don't have to hunt anything. How many of you have had fights this morning getting ready for church? All right, not fights, but you know. So we get up on Sunday morning and we play worship music through the house. 
This morning I went out on the screen porch with the Bible and spent some time with Jesus before I ever drove to the church because if I don't spend time with him before I get up here to preach, what am I doing? I'm entering into the holy presence of holy God. So are you. I need to be ready for that. Take it seriously because I want to encounter God. I want to hear his voice. I want to experience him. I want him to work in my life. I want his hand to be all over me. But if I'm lazy and indifferent, hmm. You get home whenever you get home on Saturday night and go to bed whenever you go to bed. And then you get up Sunday morning so sleepy and you wonder why church isn't more fun. So it's not about church, it's about you. If you want to be faithful, you can be. If you want to encounter, stay connected to Jesus, you can. But you've got to put something into it because what you put into it determines what you get out of it. And we love to blame God and we love to blame the church and we love to blame the band and we love to blame the preacher. When the problem is staring us in the face every time we look in the mirror. You want to be faithful, you can, but you've got to make it a point of your life, a, you know, just a passion that you're going to stay connected to Jesus and you're going to do your part. You're going to be intentional about staying connected to Jesus. And I'm running out of time. I'm only through two of six points. Don't worry, I've got a good lunch waiting, so we're not going to be long. Number three. Ezekiel made the decision to listen to God, not those around him. And that's what you and I need to do. I'm just going to tell you the story. We don't have time to read the verses in chapter 2. God says, now, Ezekiel, get up. Listen to me. The vision continues through the first three chapters. I'm going to send you to the Jewish people living here in exile. They're, they're rebellious. He says that five times. They're stubborn. They're obstinate. They're probably not going to listen to you. But I'm going to send you to them anyway. And you're going to tell them what I tell you to tell them. And they will know that a prophet's been in their midst. And then the kicker is verse 8 of chapter 2, if you'd look at that. He said, but now you, son of man, you, Ezekiel, listen to what I am speaking to you. And do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Ezekiel, whether anybody around you listens to God or not, Ezekiel, you listen to me. And if you're going to be faithful to God, there will come moments in your life when you have to stop listening to the crowd. When you make up your mind, you're going to hear God, listen to God, obey God, whether anybody else in your family does or not, whether anybody else in your school does or not, whether anybody else at your place of work does or not, whether anybody else on the team that you play on does or not, whether anybody else in your neighborhood does or not, you're going to listen to God and what others do, that doesn't determine what you do. Because you say, I'm connected to Jesus and I'm going to listen to him whether anybody else does or not. Now, one more thing. Do you know what most people in our culture today listen to? Their feelings. 
The number one God in America today is feelings, emotions. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. And that's how we justify everything. And anytime what I feel doesn't line up with what God says, God gets kicked to the side and I obey what I feel because that's the new God. Some of you are living by your feelings. You know what the problem with that is? Your feelings can be very deceitful. Very deceitful. Your feelings can be influenced and controlled by sin. Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will send you straight to hell. Your feelings will make a mess of your life. If you want it dramatically illustrated, how many times I've seen women in an abusive relationship keep going back to the abuser because of feelings. Feelings can blind you to reality. That's why you need to live by, live by thus saith the Lord. And if you, you listen to God and you obey God, you know what will happen? Eventually, in time, your feelings will start lining up with what God says. So listen to the Lord. Number four, Feast on his word. At the end of that conversation, God hands Ezekiel a scroll at the end of chapter 2 and end of the first part of chapter 3. And on that scroll, is written on both sides. It's God's word. And he says, Ezekiel, eat this. And I think it's in verse, verse 3 of chapter 3. Ezekiel ate it and he said it was as sweet as honey. That's what God's word needs to be to you. Sweet as honey. You need to feast on it because if you're not eating a steady diet of God's word, you're not going to be spiritually strong or spiritually healthy. And let me just say, sometimes when you feast on God's word, it's more exciting than other times. Like Monice and I have been really, really happy the last couple of weeks. On two occasions, we've had from the mountains up in Kentucky and West Virginia, we've, we've had some white half-runner green beans, real green beans, not these little skinny things, you know, I mean real green beans. I cooked them with fat back. Yes, that's heaven, folks. That's heaven. <laughs> Some sliced tomatoes with salt and sliced sweet onions. And homemade cornbread with, a cr- with crunch. Yeah, a crust. Homemade slaw. Mm, just for lunch, Steve, stop it. And last night, fried chicken. Uh, you don't get much closer to heaven than that. And sometimes when you get into God's word and you're reading, man, wow. Other times it's like, hey, I, on the way home, I call Monisa and I say, hey, hey, sweet, what are we having for dinner tonight? She said, well, it's been a busy day. What do you think about egg sandwiches? I like them. But they're not green beans and cornbread and fried chicken. And you're going to have those days you read God's word and it's like an egg sandwich. And then you're going to have those days you, you read God's word and it's that, it's that home-cooked Appalachian Mountain dinner. It's, it's, it's a heaven on a plate, folks. But you got to eat every day. You got to feast on God's word every day. And don't make it just about the academic exercise. Make it about 
engaging the scripture so you can encounter Jesus Christ. And, and, and that means you're not just being fed when you come to hear me preach or you sit in your life group and listen to a teacher. You're feeding yourself. Part of our vision at this church is that every single believer be able to spiritually feed himself or herself because if you can't feed yourself, you will never be spiritually healthy the way you need to be. That's why our Bible reading plan and our D groups and so on are so important. All right, I'm out of time. Number five, what God shows you, you need to show others. What God shares with you, you need to share with others. You know, God teaches you from his word. You need to teach others. You need to pass it on. You need to share God's word, his message. In chapter three, God gets more specific with Ezekiel saying, Ezekiel, I'm sending you to these other exiles. You're an exile living as a slave over here in Babylon. Guess what? There's thousands of you, fellow exiles. I'm sending, sending you to them with the message I'm giving you. Speak to them what I tell you. They probably won't listen, but go tell them anyway because if they won't listen to me, they're probably not going to listen to you, but tell them anyway because some of them might. And thank God for the ones who do. But you need to share it. Let me, let me say something to you. One of the reasons you need to invite people to church and share your testimony and share the gospel and do evangelism and be a witness, yes, because God says do it and because they need it. But you also need to do it because that's the only way you're going to stay spiritually healthy. See, some of you... Listen, some of you, you started out with our Bible reading plan. You started out in a D group. And then after a couple of years, you kind of got sluggish. And maybe you said, I need to take a break. You know what happened? For many of you, you were never sharing with anyone else what God was putting in you. And it's like over here is this flow of water. A stream flowing into a pond, flowing into a lake. And if there's no outlet, you become like the Dead Sea in Israel, just a stagnant pond in which nothing can live. See, God doesn't put stuff in you just to make you feel good, just to feed you. God puts stuff in you so you can be healthy, so then you can turn around and share it with others so they have the opportunity to be healthy. You need the outlet flow as much as the inflow and if you don't have the outflow you become stagnant and after a while church becomes dull Bible reading becomes dull your spiritual life becomes dull and it's because you're not trying to help anybody but yourself some of the experiences you will have in life that let, that let you see the hand of God on your life, that will show you the presence of God and build your faith. Some of the experiences that will be the most dramatic for that to happen is when you are out there sharing the gospel with other people and you see God work. That does wonders for your spiritual life. One last thing and I'm done. Ezekiel understood and you and I need to understand that appearances can be deceptive. See, in chapter 2, when he's talking about their rebellious nature as a nation, he, he said it was them and their fathers. This had been a generational problem. And in our Bible reading plan here the last year, we've been reading in Kings and Chronicles and Isaiah and the other prophets. And man, this, this not listening to God, not listening to God, 
for the Jewish nation had been a problem for a long, long time. And it's what got them in the mess. And all those years of them not listening to God, decade after decade after decade of not listening to God, that whole time God had been on his throne and he'd been trying to get through to them, sending prophets. He sent Isaiah. He sent Amos and Hosea. He sent Micah. He sent Zephaniah. He sent Obadiah. And decade after decade, they said, we're not listening. And they disobeyed God and got into sin. And the result was they ended up in exile. And the whole time, God had been on his throne trying to get their attention, but they wouldn't listen. Now, here they are in a new situation. They had it pretty good before, but now they got it really bad. But it's a mess of their own making. And they want to go home. They, they want things to get better, and they want God to help them. But guess what? They still won't listen. God was on his throne before and they wouldn't listen. God's still on his throne and he's sending them Ezekiel. He's sending them Daniel back in Jerusalem. At the same time, he's sending them Jeremiah and they still won't listen. And the whole time, God has been on his throne. I'm going to tell you something. When your life is going well, God's on the throne. And when your life is a mess, God's on the throne. He doesn't change. The question is, are you going to listen to him when things are going well and when things are not? That's the question you've got to answer. And Ezekiel understood that the reality was God's always on his throne. And he's always sending people to me to try to, you know, God's always sending people into your life to try to get your attention and help you. The question is, do you listen when God does that? And whether or not you do, that's going to create the life you will have lived when you die. Let's stand. Team will lead us in singing this song of worship. And I'm inviting you to listen to God. To do what he's asking you to do. To obey him. I'm inviting you to come to the altar, to the kneeling bench here and get on your knees before God and say, God, I'm through not listening to you. I'm through, I'm finished with not reading your word. I'm I'm finished with being lackadaisical in my approach to the Lord's day and to worship. I'm, I'm finished listening to my feelings more than the scripture. I'm finished listening to the crowd more than the Holy Spirit. And get on your knees and tell God. Pastors are going to be standing at the front. Come to one of them. If you want to pray with someone, they'd love to pray with you. We have counselors who are ready to pray with you. If you'd like to request baptism, come to one of these pastors or join this church. Come to one of these pastors or become a follower of Jesus because right now you're not, but you want to be. Come to one of these pastors and say, I want to, I want to follow Jesus. So we're going to sing. And all over this room, you come. You just start walking. You come, Father, help each of us to hear you and obey you. Amen. As we sing, you come right now, quickly, quickly, come on.